Welcome to American Patriot News. I'm Bill Moss. I'm your host. We got our co-host, Fran Farmer, and Ed Turner on with us tonight. Hello, guys. How y'all doing? Doing good tonight, Bill. All right. We all got a little bit of refreshing relaxation over the last week. We took the holiday week off. Uh, I'm thinking about having a holiday about once a month. (laughs) (laughs) I never have felt so relaxed or, or so... So uh, at peace as, as, as I've felt in the last few days, and uh, it's just been a wonderful time. But uh, it's time we get back to work. Uh, you know, well, we all need to take a break from, from, from this fight we're in, okay? You know, even, even when you're in military service, every now and then you get leave, right, Ed? And uh, so every now and then we all need to take a break. And uh, if, if this starts wearing on you, yeah, maybe it's time you just kick back and snuggle up with your 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 best friend or your girlfriend or your wife or your dog or somebody and just sit back and, and watch some Hallmark movies and make a week of it and just relax. And uh, and then you can get back in the game because that's, that's, that's what I've done. That's what I've done. I hope that's what, what you guys have done. I tried to encourage you to, you know, get away from it some this week. Uh, but we're back in the trench now. We're back in the trench, and this is the place where we, the people, fight for the Constitution over corruption, freedom over fascism, and power over politics. And it's been a whole week, and I got that out right. How about that? That's pretty good, Ed. I can remember when I couldn't get it out one day at a time. Uh, used to have a little note stuck on the side of my monitor here so I could get it out right. Can you believe that? Yeah. Uh, Every now and then, I still announce it under the old show name, don't I? But, uh, now, I hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving. I hope it, that you didn't pay attention to all these mandates and all this lunacy. Uh, Ed, did you eat with, uh, three, with three masks and a body condom on Thanksgiving? <laughs> no, we had about, I don't know, 20, 30 people there. Okay. I just wanted to make sure, you know, because I, I understood that was about, about the regulations they had out there, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Ain't nobody going to tell us really what to do. You know, it's time the American people stand up. It's time the American people say enough is enough. And uh, I done a video today, and I tried to share it with Fran. Fran, you couldn't hear it because we was having audio problems, Okay. Uh, but I've done a video today. It was my first campaign commercial. I'm on the side of the road talking. And, uh, you know, we friend picked out the night's videos, okay? And she picked out three. And uh, I watched them, and I said, two of them I want to do, but I told her, I said, one of them I don't. And she said, why? I said, because it's the same old lie that Washington's been feeding us all along, Okay. And uh, I'll dress that up front, Fran. Is that all right? And uh, you know, it it you know, no no reflection on Fran, but you know, I'm I'm running for political office, and you got to get people to like you to get them to vote for you, okay? And there's two ways of doing it. You you can go out there and tell them, oh, I'm I'm all for you. I'm gonna do everything you want me to do, and then you can get in office and not do a damn thing. Or you can get out there and fight for your community like I've been doing. And then when somebody comes along and asks you to run for office, that's when you jump in and run for office. And you continue to fight. 
and you do the right thing. And that's what I intend to do. Okay. And uh, I'm not going to promise you the moon. I had to tell somebody today, I said, I don't know. I'll have to check the legality on it. If I'm sheriff and that problem's existing, I will see if I have the power to do something about it. Okay. <clears throat> Sometimes you got to do that. You know, you got to make sure that you're within your confine of your legal. But I, I don't want to make a promise I can't keep. So that's why I told her that. But this this particular video Fran had on was from the 18th of November. And it was the Republicans and they were out there and they were talking about this bill that they're going to put up before Congress. OK. And what this bill, uh, Fran, can you explain the bill? Exactly what it was. Uh, not exactly. I, I was hoping to show the video so that they could be talking about it. But what, right. my, what my thoughts were, were to get in front of everybody is because the bill has nothing to do with a lot of the concerns that some of these uh, representatives had. And that's why they were against the bill to begin with. Right. And it, it's a lot of the things that we've already covered. It had to do with the mandates. It had to do with the vaccine mandates. I do remember that. And uh, the mandates, as we all know, are totally illegal. They're totally illegal. And uh, you have every right in the world to refuse them. Uh, I'm afraid that a lot of these employers that are letting people go for not taking the shots eventually are going to have to give them jobs with back pay. And uh, but, you know, that still ain't going to help them if they've lost their homes. There is one thing that I have have learned about that bill. I don't know if you've learned it or not. If any of you are facing being terminated or, or not let not letting you go back to work because you don't have your vaccine and you refuse to get the vaccine and they won't let you work, don't just give up and walk away. Make sure that, you, that they fire you and that you got paperwork showing that you were fired and you can take it to one of these uh, uh, constitutional uh, attorneys out here and then they can fight against the company because they let you go against your constitutional rights right and i still have the offer open to anybody that wants to file for a religious exemption i have been successful in helping some people save their jobs uh all you gotta do is contact me boss.apn <laughs> at gmail.com and uh, i will get back with you and help you along that line i will do all i can to help you uh, I can't guarantee you your job, but I have helped save some. And one was even in California in the healthcare industry. And I thought that was pretty good to yeah. be able to get that there. And you know that person, right? Yep. So uh, he was on the show. Uh, and I made him that offer and helped him. But uh, overall, what they were talking about is, oh, well, we're going we're gonna to put this bill up to where we can stop these forced mandates. Well, the problem with that is, is I'm getting to have a dislike for a lot of politicians on both sides of the aisle, okay? And I might be shooting myself in the foot with my own party, you know, running for office. But here's the thing, folks. We've seen them try to impeach Biden how many times now? Four or five? How many of them has made it past the Speaker of the House? How many bills has the Republicans put up since the 
Democrats took up over the Senate, the House that has been put through the House. Zero on both counts. They know this bill that they're getting up their grandstand and saying, we're putting this bill up. We're going to fight for you. We're going to get these these uh, vaccines stopped. They know they ain't got a, a snowball's chance in Hades of, of getting through. OK, they know this. But what they're doing is they're putting out their political uh, I'm for you fighting for you uh, banter so that when it comes primary time in, in March, I mean, in May, excuse me, you'll vote for them, okay? But at the same time, they know they can't get this bill through. They know they can't get it through. The danger of what they're doing, the danger of what they're doing is they're making some people even more complacent. Well, I don't want to raise too much cane yet. I want to see what they do. I want to see what they do. Well, you know what? I wonder how many people, and Candace Owens talks about this. I wonder how many people in, th in these countries that have been overthrown by communism, by tyranny, by dictators and, and, you know, Marxists and all this. I wonder how many people that were in those countries when this was going on, stepped back and thought, well, I just want to wait a little bit longer, see what my elected officials do. Think about that. And I wonder how many of them now think, boy, I wish I hadn't waited that much longer. I wish I'd have showed up at the local meetings, the fiscal courts, the city halls, the school boards, Capitol Hill in my state and in DC. I wonder how many of them think, you know, I'd have risked maybe a night in jail or two nights in jail. If I could have kept my freedom, my family's freedom, if I could kept my family's ability to worship in the church they want, to go to a private school if they could afford it, or to reform public school if they couldn't. See, that's the thing. We, we was at church Sunday night. Now, I'm going to do a little preaching here, okay? We was at church Sunday night, and the preacher got talking about, you know, when your time comes, and you're ready to go, and your eyes shut, there's no chance to holler out and say, forgive me, Lord. There's no chance to say, give me a second chance. There's no chance to say, I give my heart to you, Jesus. Your destiny for eternity has been set. Okay, Fran, I know you probably feel the same way. Uh, Ed, I believe you do too. Uh, you have to make those decisions ahead of time and you have to do the right thing. That's in Christianity. It's giving your heart to the Lord. When you're facing tyranny, when you're facing oppression, when you're facing an overthrow of 
of the one bastion of freedom left in this in this world that all the other nations look to and and cling to hoping that you'll take a stand that is your last chance and it's here we don't have the luxury of waiting until 2023 when we can get somebody else in because if we don't stand and fight now we're done it starts with your local communities it starts with your sheriffs it starts with your police chiefs it starts with your county judges and your magistrates and if they're no good and you've got a way of kicking them out kick them out recall them okay have them impeached come january Put so much pressure on your state legislators that if they don't get rid of the wrongdoers, then you're going to get rid of them. Okay? That's where it comes from. We don't have the luxury of waiting another year to see what they're going to do. We have watched what they have done to us over decades and decades, actually over centuries. It's time the American people stand up. And if you don't have a constitutional sheriff you better get one because he's the one person that can hold the president of the united states the supreme court the all the lawmakers in dc and all the lawmakers in your state in line in his county and if you can get enough constitutional sheriffs together then you can do something now Everybody knows I'm running for sheriff down here in Jackson County, Kentucky, and I want to just challenge right now. I want to challenge every sheriff that is currently serving to join me in this fight, to join me in this fight. Become constitutional sheriffs. Get a hold of the CSPOA. Get a hold of Chris Ann Hall at chrisannhall.com uh, or, or get a hold of, you know, somebody, somebody somewhere. Get a hold of Mark Lamb out in Pinal County, Arizona. He's the sheriff out there. Give him a call. Mark will hook you up with American sheriffs. Get with these organizations. It's time we pull together. It's time we stand up for America. And it's time we do it now. And I promise you guys one thing, all you sheriffs out there. If I'm elected, come next year, I'll be standing beside you. I'll promise you that. Ed, can you show us that first tape with Candace Owens? Before we do, Fran, did you have anything you want to say? You're muted. Ed, you pretty well covered everything I wanted to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Volume, Ed. My heart, by the way, when I see these children, itty bitty two year old toddlers walking around with a mask on their face, think about the psychological trauma of that. Think about the fact that right now in America, there are children that believe that that is normal because they've never seen anything different. There are children that believe it's normal to ask their parents where their mask is because they've never seen anything different. Stop right there, Ed. Stop. Well, I was so outspoken. How I take such strong positions early on, and be can you imagine 
Now, we, we, we've all three raised kids, right? Yep. All right. Uh, can you imagine our children growing up thinking it's, it's a, a necessary, a normal thing to have a mask stuck to your face? Could well, you imagine that? I can tell you from experience, my six-year-old nephew thinks so because he uh, he was cheated. He went he went to he went to preschool, and then they shut down the preschool because of COVID. And then he was cheated out of his kindergarten year, so he actually never went to kindergarten. And now he's in first grade, and they all have to wear masks. And he thinks it's normal. Do you see where this is conditioning? Where it's training people, especially the next generation from an early age, to be submissive? Yep. And the stupid teachers and the parent volunteers that work at the school, including my sister, are, are, are backing this crap up. You know, we have looked at the studies. We've, well, I think y'all have looked at them with me, with me too. We've looked at these studies here in Jackson County, the RSV and all these other, you know, strep and 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 staff and and MRSA and everything else that's coming from these masks, and they just keep shoving this on our kids. And for the like of me, I cannot understand parents that just yuck this up through ignorance. But then you have to stop and think, Ed, you and Fran and I are a little bit older probably than your sister, right? My sister just turned 40. Okay. The Right along the breaking line where y'all was, you were born and she was born is when they really started conditioning these kids to, to be dumber. Yeah. Okay. And, and so... You know, I've got a daughter that's 41, and, uh, you know, she thinks she's smarter in the world. She's a CPA, and, and I tell you what, she's never in a box of rocks. I, I'm just going to tell you straight up. And it's it's all because, you know, they buy into all this crap, this liberal stuff that's been taught in schools. And, you know, she, she had a teacher that was going to fail her for going to her grandmother's funeral. And she was scared to death. Let me go talk to him. Can you believe that? I'd be dang if I'd be scared of a teacher over something like that. That's ridiculous, you know? But then you got to look, and Candace will get into this in a minute, and I don't want to spoil it for everybody, but she'll get into this in a minute about the separation of the family and the destruction of the family. Go ahead. I just wanted to ask people, you know, can you really imagine having a, a six, seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid that thinks it's normal to have a mask? I've seen kids actually freak out because they they, they didn't have a mask. And I've seen other kids that don't give a rip. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But I've seen a few kids actually freak out because they didn't have a mask. Because their parents have got them scared to death. The teachers got them scared to death. Oh, if you don't put that mask on, honey, you're going to die. You know what I'm saying? So we are, by these masks, we are actually psychologically destroying our youth. 
But go ahead, go ahead with the show. <laughs> people are on shore, right? I'm, I'm constantly in the press. I'm constantly getting killed because I go right for the jugular, no questions asked. Because I can always predict the crazy. Lost your sound. Remarkable ability to see the crazy coming down the block, you know? I could just see it. I'm just, I rem- I'll never forget the viciousness that I was hit with by both sides of the aisle, by the way, by the way, when the Me Too movement appeared, came out of nowhere. You know, suddenly it was hashtag Me Too and it was trending on Twitter and every girl was sharing their stories and conservatives were silenced and the left was giving them a platform and everyone was saying, this is good. This is great. This is, of course, you should be talking about sexual assault and rape and, and raw industry. That all sounds like a good thing. And it was so obvious to me that the left was going to use it as a tool to take people out, right? To give, to say that we no longer believe in due process, that on the basis of a mere allegation, someone should be forced to step down from their job. I mean, I, I, I saw that crazy coming, right? And of course, this is what the left does. They like to create issues. They like to talk about issues that make people uncomfortable. We're dignified people. We don't want to be in a room. You never want to say to someone, oh, okay, maybe there's something wrong, you know, with just condemning people instantly for sexual assault allegations because we're good people. Of course, they, but the reason that they, they go across and they find these subjects that make us uncomfortable is it's because it gives them so much power. We're talking about race. They want white people to shut up. When they're talking about sexual assault, they want men to feel uncomfortable for them to shut up. And when people are shutting up, that is when the left gets the most charged in the culture war, right? That is when the left runs the game in the culture war. Their goal is to make you feel uncomfortable to use your voice. Their goal is to silence Americans. People keep talking about the silent majority. I'm tired of the silent majority. I just want people to be the majority. Start speaking out and saying what you believe. Because if you don't, we're going to lose this country. We are in this moment right now, sitting in this auditorium, we are losing America. You know that, I know that. We've got a senile puppet for a president, right? And we've got a bunch of journalists that are basically trying to make it so that conservatives are not allowed to speak or meet or talk anymore. They used January 6th as almost a false flag operation to push through a bunch of radical change because that's how the left operates. The left always needs an existential crisis to push through radical reform. Okay, and if there is no crisis, they will create one. They will make sure there is a crisis. They will take something that is bad and they will turn it into something that is terrible because they need to make sure that you are fearful in order for them to execute radical reform. Stop again, Ed. 9-11, we were told after 9-11. Existential crisis was right. What, excess, what, what other existential crises have we seen abused? Think about it. You too. There's been a lot of them. Yeah, and we've been conditioned to accept every one of them. We would think back, uh, Brianna Taylor. They take something, they blow it out of proportion. 
they tell their lies. They spin it the way they want it. And the next thing you know, we've got riots. Riots gives them excuses to do things. Same thing with Floyd. Huh? Then the other, on the other hand, some of those rioters out there join with the protesters. The protesters get out and they, they, they walk up and down the streets, might be singing their songs or chanting or holding the signs or something like that. But then these other people come in from who knows where and we find out that they're getting paid to go in and burn down the shops and to loot and carry on. And yeah, I actually received I actually received an email back of this back when all that was going on, trying to recruit me to be a writer. <laughs> and it offered fifty dollars if I broke the car window, a hundred dollars if I torched the car, a hundred and fifty for a store big store window, or three hundred to torch a store. Bonus. And I forget what the hourly wage was. It was like $36 or something like that. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that was going on. Okay. But we, we can go back farther than that. Let's go back. Let's look at the Boston bombing. Let's look at let's look at 9-11. Let's look at let's look at Sandy Hook. All these were things that were used in order to continue to encroach upon the rights of American people. And every time, every time that the Democrat Party gets behind the eight ball on something, we will have a mass shooting or a black person will get killed. Now, Candace talks about how they use the black people. We had a, a show we done back in the early days of radio where we talked about a gentleman that was part of the Communist Party who was a black man and he left the Communist Party which he said was part Democrat. Uh, if you go, you can look up the Democratic Socialists of America. That is the, the Democrats that are socialists, that are communists in our country. It'll list every one of them. If you, if you know where to find it on the page, it'll list every one of them that was ever in office. Okay. And the whole thing is, is when they get behind the eight ball, they create these crises. They create them. January 6th, FBI said there was no concerted effort to organize anything. But the one thing they left out was what we don't know by proof is that the FBI orchestrated it, right, Ed? It's all set up and orchestrated by the FBI. Right. It was all set up. We proved it. But you ain't going to see nothing done about it. Why? Because the FBI, the the uh, the the uh, DNC, and all these rhinos too that's involved are all part of the game. They're all part of the shield. They're they're making you into fools, making me into fools, and and what they're doing is they're using Patriot Act. They're using everything under their power to take control of people and to abuse their rights and to strip them of their rights. We've seen just this week, parents dragged out and locked up from a school board meeting for speaking on behalf of their kids. We've seen parents in Texas 
arrested in their homes by school police. Now, I don't know about Texas, but I can tell you in most states, school police are what they call special law enforcement officers, and they're only licensed for the property they're protecting. How can they go to your house and arrest you? I want to see a truant officer come to my house and arrest me. Because that pike him out, he won't walk out on his own. Now, this is ridiculous. This is what's going on in our country. Go ahead, Ed. I, I'm, I'm, I'm betting. <laughs> we might get through this show tonight. <laughs> Love it. That this is just going to be temporary. We're, we're going to change some things around the Patriot Act. You're going to have to take your shoes off. We're going to have to look through everything you have. We're going to have, you know, we're going to have to have this whole system when you go through the airports, but it's for your safety. Existential crisis. Government takes control. When government takes control, they never give it back. I think the only time I was outspoken and against Donald Trump when he was in office was with the coronavirus, when he made the decision to temporarily shut down um, all of America for a couple of weeks because he was facing so much mounting pressure. And I disagreed with him publicly. And I said to so many people who were so fearful in that moment, that you just, when you are, are feeling fearful, you have to pause and you have to think. Fear is the name of the game. Fear is how they seize control of the country. Very Their entire job is to make you fearful so that they can seize more control. And I knew the second that he made the decision to shut down the country, I asked people, I said, do you understand that now We've just made it okay forever when he is not president. I know you think he's not going to abuse it. Of course, we didn't think he was going to abuse it. But Donald Trump was not going to be president forever. And now we have just said that it's acceptable, that we have now set that precedent for the government to come in, to shut down our businesses, to tell us to stay at home, to force mask us, and to tell us what we are allowed to do and who we are allowed to see. You don't get those kinds of freedoms back. We set a very dangerous precedent. I don't think a single person in this room uh, disagrees or, or, or didn't believe that the coronavirus was real. Of course, we, are, we, we understand that viruses in general are real. Viruses happen um, all across the world. They happen, uh, uh, smallpox happened during the Revolutionary War, right? There are, there are plagues that happen, there are suffering that happens, it's a condition of humanity. That was never the point. That was never the purpose of me speaking out against the shutdowns and against the lockdowns. It was because I realized that we were implementing a system, a global system that was allowing people to take control and to take freedoms away from Americans. That's the situation that we're in today. That's the situation that we're in right now. That is why I've used my platform to speak out against this. People ask me, where do you get the courage from to just go out and to say something and to just say what you believe over and over and over again? And I always say that I look at the situation around the world and you study history and you, you learn about these absurd situations in other countries historically and you go, how could that ever happen, right? How could that, how could that, how do so many people in a country allow such sheer evil to take place? It seems unfathomable when you look back at different countries and you study socialist regimes, when you study the Nazi party, when you study you know, Mussolini, it seems impossible 
that an entire country of people allowed it to happen. Even when you look at Venezuela, forget history, think of present, right? You go, how is it possible that Venezuela should be one of the wealthiest countries based on its oil reserves? How is it possible that its people allowed this to happen? Well, this is how it's possible. This is how it's possible because people were too fearful to speak out. Because people were too fearful to be called a name. You're too fearful because you don't want your neighbor to call you a racist. Don't you think those people that lost their countries completely, if they could look back and say, man, I would have been actually totally fine being called a racist. I should have said something. I should have said this is wrong. Right. I would have been totally fine losing a couple of friends. I should have said something before we got to where we are today. Mm-hmm. And that all of those people that lived in those countries during those times think that in the retrospect. That's what I was talking about. One of the things that you can do, there's another question I always say, Kaz, what can I do? You know, you have a platform. First and foremost, if you're thinking Kaz is a platform, so it's, it's easier for her to say things. Uh, you're right. Now it is. But five years ago, I was you. <laughs> I was a person that had nothing but something to say. Right. And I created my own platform on YouTube. And I always say to people in every room that you have to remember that it is what you do individually, decisions that you make individually that are gonna transform this country. It is the businesses that you stand behind, the products that you buy, the things that you tweet. Not everybody is the same person. I'm not saying everybody should go be me on Twitter and trend for three years because you just can't stop calling the left out on their BS, right? But we are in a cultural war. And in every type of a war, you have to figure out what you can contribute. Maybe you are a fighter like me. Maybe you are a front line line fighter like me. Maybe you are willing to go out and to be sneered and to be libeled and to lose your friends like me. But maybe you're somebody else. Maybe you're a writer. Maybe you're a person who wants to write, who wants to create a website, who wants to get together a bunch of journalists, a bunch of patriots to write the actual truth. Maybe that's who you are. Battles and wars need those people as well, right? Maybe you're the person who's got so much money, it would be so easy for you to just finance the war, right? Sit back and say, I don't wanna get my hands dirty, but let me stand behind some people that are willing to fight. I'll never forget that when I was on YouTube, when I started my channel, there was a man who lived in San Diego who reached out to me after I made my first video. I had quit my job and I had no idea beyond three months how I was going to be able to survive and pay my bills, but I knew I had to start saying something. And a man in San Diego reached out to me and said, I really believe in you, kid. I want to give you $5,000. What that $5,000 meant for me was that I could keep the lights on and I could keep fighting, right? Think about that. For him, it was nothing. It was a drop in the bucket, but he found somebody who was saying something and he was doing something and he wanted to sponsor that individual. There are people that are like this in this room. I know that. Maybe you stand behind the organizations. Maybe it's you that gets people to run in elections. Because let me tell you something, for all the fighting that's happening DC in DC, it is the local elections that matter the most. Run for the school board, right? We never hear these discussions being had but we need to start thinking about the local elections. We need to start thinking about how we are going to make sure that this poison does not make it into the classrooms. We need to start making sure that the state houses are doing everything they can to clean up these elections. Because let me tell you, if mail-in ballots are the way of the future, you can say goodbye to America. 
full stop. I have to agree with her at that moment uh, with the ballot boxes. I'm not stop it a minute, Ed. person. I'm not, and I, I mix. What did you say, Fran? Okay, I've worked the polls now since 2012. You know, uh -huh. both the primary and the general elections. And then we get into this past election and they're talking about going to paperless ballot, ballot boxes next time that uh, they buy, buy, ballot, buy the new boxes. And I, if anything that we have all learned, we cannot go backwards and, and, look, and look at what it is that we're doing today without seeing it, unless we have a paper trail to figure out exactly what happened due to a malfunction in a machine that says that this candidate won over this candidate. If we don't have what the people have put down on paper, we don't have anything to back it up. So anybody can be elected without having to worry about how, what the ballot box is going to do to them. And here in this state, I'm, I'm doing what I can possibly do to fight the possibility of having electronic balloting going on in this, in this, in this state. And I have to start here. I've already gone to the commissioners about it and they said that they're not going to be buying new, box, new ballot boxes until 2024. I thought to myself, well, good. I've got another two years to work on this. And in the meantime, I'm getting ready to run for commissioner in two years. As far as the ballot boxes go, we're still using the same ones that, are, that were bought since I started working in 2012. Because I said, well, I was there. I was the inspector working at working two precincts in the same polling place. And I saw more people coming in and voting in this past general election than I have ever seen in any of those other uh, places that I have worked at because the people were coming out of the woodwork to come in and have their voices heard. Their voices can't be heard if we go to the elect electoral the electronic boxes because they are too prone to be reprogrammed. And that has been proven to have happened here in this United States in this past election. And for those of you that doubt that, Go to Mike Lindell's website and watch the, his symposium. And it's really easy. You can pull it up. It's a two-hour show, and he interviews different people as what may have happened. And he has a, a trail there to other videos to where you can see what's going on. And I know he's the my pillow guy, but this guy's a good, deep Christian. He, uh, he, becoming a Christian has changed his life completely, and he has got such a business that's built up right now that he offered $5 million to any programmer that can prove that his studies are wrong in any way. And nobody stood up and offered to, to contest it. You know the difference between Mike Liddell and those that criticize him? Mike's a patriot. He has stood up. He has took the fight to him. And he has put his money where his mouth is. He's not sat back and criticized other people. Mike has been out there doing it. Exactly. And there's been nobody to contest what it is he's found. Right. A lot of people mock him, but nobody can prove him wrong. And Candace is another one. Dollars, there's $5 million on the line if you can. <laughs> so either put up or shut up, right? Right. 
again, Candace is another one. I, I really like Candace. Uh, that's one. That's one lady that if she run for president would probably have my vote. I'll just tell you straight up because she's right dead on the mark. She understands things. She can see what's coming down the line long before it ever gets here. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, I can remember when she told Trump it was a mistake. I can remember that. I can remember agreeing with her. The one thing I disagree with is it's not too late yet to get our rights back. But if we don't put a stop to it very, very soon, then it's over. It's over. Then we it can't is. Wait. We can't wait till the next election. We have to do this now. Right. That's my, that's my point exactly. My point exactly. You know, it, he, you know what we need about six o'clock every night from six to eight o'clock at night? Everybody in every town are to just walk out in the streets and raise hell and, until we get our country back. I, could you imagine if every little town, if every little burg, every big city, every night at six o'clock, everybody stepped out in the street and started protesting for two hours? Just go out there and honk the horn for five minutes. Six o'clock every night. I passed all the politicians' houses blowing your horns. Back and forth, back and forth. Just make sure it's before the noise ordinance starts at night. You know what I'm saying? Uh, either that or go by there one time and go, beep, beep, beep. I mean, no, I didn't say that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you could hide out back with one of them air horns. <laughs> my dad had one of those air horns downstairs in the basement when my kids was a little, real little. Uh-huh. And, uh, Mom hollered down down the into the basement. She said, "Bill, come on, bring the kids up. It's time for lunch." And uh, she went over and she got a, a big scoop of that sloppy joe that she just fixed and, and started to put it on her hamburger bun. He cut loose with that horn, and that hamburger bun went straight up in the air and flopped over upside down onto the table. And <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> she was as hot as she could be, but I was laughing so hard I couldn't move. <laughs> And the kids was having a ball, and Dad didn't even under he didn't have a clue as to what was going on. But she let that door open and went right up, right up under the table and up into our ears. I remember my boy was about two and a half years old. We was doing truck checks at far. I was doing truck check far house. Had him with me. I put him up in the seat. I said, "Reach up there and pull that rope, son. See if the horn works." He reached up. He pulled that air horn rope. When he did, he just froze with it pulled down. <laughs> So, <laughs> screaming, I like you never got his hand fried off of it. These, these are the kind of things that we're losing, guys. We, we need this is why we need to stand up. Yeah, we won't we won't have the joys and the freedoms that we have now if we if, that we've had if if we don't if we don't fight from them. They're getting taken every day more and more. All right, I'm done talking. How about you, friend? Yes, sir. All right, Ed. Let's go some more. To make sure people in every room understand that. I'm an ordinary person who is doing extra things right now because every ordinary person should be doing extra things right now in America. I had a baby four months ago, 16 weeks. 
And it's so funny because I remember sitting down with Ali Stuckey, who's a podcaster, uh, and talking to her on my show. She had just had a child and she said, oh, motherhood softens you in all the right ways. And I can't wait for everybody to have a child. She's like, even AOC, I, I, I want her to have a child. She said this. And she said, because things change when you have a child and, and your perspectives change when you have a child and, and you become softened. And I was so excited when I got pregnant because I was waiting to get softened. And lo and behold, it hardened me. <laughs> and it hardened me because suddenly I look at my child and I look at him and I think, is he going to grow up in the same America I'm going to grow up in? Suddenly the fight is a lot more serious for me, right? Before it's a political perspective. Now it's my child's future. Is my child going to have to think that this is normal? It started for me uh, and, and, and realizing what the left was doing. Um, and I had to kind of think, how do we fight as conservatives? And I had to reverse engineer and think, when did this start for me? When did I, when did I start believing this poison? And it takes me back to my childhood. It really does. Um, because I really do believe that everything that the left is after right now in this country is destroying families, right? And because sometimes you look out and you go, what are they doing? Like, it just seems like they're everywhere all at once, just starting fires, a little fire over here, a little fire over there. And we're just running side to side, trying to put the fires out. And what's actually connecting all of these fires the left is, is starting? Or that all of these fires the left is starting? What is the connection? What is the thread that ties them all together? Why are we talking about gendered, non-gendered restrooms, right? Like that seems like a random fire to start. Like nobody ever was stressed out when they saw the word bathroom on a sign. No one was like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. But the left picked up this battle and they stuck it to us. And suddenly we are like really in the throes of we need bathrooms that say non-binary, fully inclusion, full inclusion. We've got more than 26 genders. Like why did they pick that particular battle, right? Then you look over and then you see the feminist camp, right? And you've got the, the women that are screeching about the patriarchy and they want to undo traditional families and, and they, they need men to understand how horrible and backwards they are. And they're going, why is, why is feminism becoming so toxic, right? It's, and I don't, it's not so much toxic masculinity that concerns me as much as toxic feminism does right now in this country. You go, what's up with that, right? Then you think, what the heck is going on with, okay, you guys, you had the abortion battle and now they're talking about wanting to abort children at nine months in the womb. What the heck is going on? What do these three crazy things, all of these crazy things that the left is doing have in common? And the answer is family. That's what the left is trying to do. They're trying to destroy family. If you've studied Karl Marx, if you've studied the Communist Manifesto, you know that Marxists have always wanted to attack the family. That was seen as a, a structure that had to be destroyed in order for Marxist ideology to flourish. So when you say, why are they telling kids to pick their genders? Why are they telling, encouraging children to mutilate their bodies, right? Telling them in kindergarten classrooms that they can pick their genders in California. In, in, certain, in certain districts in California, they're already passing that down, that children can pick their genders. They're trying to push through policies that allow children to get gender reassignment surgery before they are even of age. There are children that are running around saying, I am in the wrong body. I am the non body This term didn't exist when I was in school, right? So I know that this child is being taught that because it didn't exist 
10 years ago, right? The purpose of that is because a child that mutilates their body will never have children, will never have offspring. You've already destroyed the family. When you talk about the radicalization of that, they're, they're after family, right? When you talk about feminists and why they are constantly attacking men and, and trying to genuinely raise women up to believe that they should not aspire to traditional family roles, when they're telling women to do more, 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 you should be the CEO of a company, you shouldn't think that you have to have children, you shouldn't want to have children, you should want to be both the man and the woman. In fact, at the same time that they're encouraging women to act more like men, they're encouraging men to act more like women, right? It's bizarre, it's totally crazy. They're constantly telling men this is toxic masculinity, all displays of masculinity are wrong at the same time that they're telling women to man up. And that's to create confusion. That's because that will eventually corrode the values of family. And families will always be in the way of big government. And socialism is big government, right? They need to make sure that children that are coming up do not turn to their mother and their father at a dinner table for answers. It's the same reason why they are so actively trying to destroy the pillar of faith. Talk about a pinnacle that I thought we'd never reach in this country, shutting down churches during COVID-19, right? What was that all about? I lived in DC during that time. They were shutting down churches. We could no longer go to church during COVID-19. And you say, why is there this attack on churches? Why are they trying to make preachers and pastors take on this leftist ideology? Well, it's because once you remove faith and once you remove family, the government becomes the faith. The government becomes the family. They want people to drop down on their knees and say, I'm in pain, not God, how can you help me? But government, how can you help me? What policy can the government give me to help me get on my two feet? That's what they want. They want to marry people to the government. The experiment when you talk about that, when they first started realizing that that could actually be done and done successfully was with Black America. Black America has always been the testing ground for leftist policies. Black America has always been the experiment for Democrats. When I wrote my book, Blackout, I had quite the fight. Thank you very much. You guys have no idea how hard I fought to write that book with Simon and Chester. Um, I'm probably one of the only conservatives that actually wrote their own book. Usually they get a ghostwriter, put their face on it, and that's it. I wrote every single word of that book, and it was an uphill battle with Simon and Schuster, who wanted to gut it and turn it into something else. From the beginning, from the subtitle, I picked the subtitle of the book, Blackout, how Black America can make its second escape from Democrat plantations, right? And the Simon Chester said, oh no, that's not, that's too strong, right? This is a black woman talking, that's all I like about this. This is not some white person saying you better press by the, the Washington Post ran a hit piece on me saying that I've popularized the phrase, Candace Owens has popularized the phrase amongst, amongst Republicans, Democrat plantation, and how dare she, that is so offensive. That's the point. But not only is that the point, I then wrote an entire chapter describing what I meant because I wasn't saying it to just be offensive. I was saying it because I meant it. And I want you guys to understand this. Democrats never stopped their plantations of slavery. 
They just updated them. They remodeled them. They refashioned them for the times. When you think about the times of slavery, you think about what it actually took for a plantation over to maintain its slaves. One element was that they had to make sure via slave codes that no slave was allowed to learn to read, okay? No slave was allowed to learn to read. That was actually such a crucial philosophy, such a crucial law that if you were a white person during those times and you were taught teaching a slave to read, you could also be charged. You could also be punished. You say, Kansas doesn't exist today. Black people are allowed to learn how to read. Really? 75% of black boys in California can't pass a basic reading exam. Across five schools in Baltimore, they couldn't find a single child that was proficient in reading and writing. A single child across five schools in the inner cities. Any color child. Know why they're teaching critical race theory? You want to know also why they're pushing that down the pipeline? Is to make sure that the kids are dumber and dumber and dumber and yet convinced that they're super educated. And I don't say that in jest. I do not say that in jest. If you read Thomas Sowell like I do, which I recommend you do from cover to cover always, <laughs> he wrote a book uh, called Inside the American Education System, The Lies of Dogma and the Deception. And in this book, I was floored to learn that Americans that are living right now, we are producing literally, I'm not saying this is funny, the dumbest kids that have ever existed in America. From a standardized test perspective, these are the dumbest kids who say, this is math, this is reading, answer these questions. They are, these kids are, are the dumbest. Yet, here's the interesting part. We have never given out more degrees. So these kids have the most degrees, and yet they are factually speaking, dumber than they've ever been. That's an interesting equation, right? It's an interesting equation. You got to think about that. You have to say, why would we do that? Why are we handing out degrees? How is it possible that we're handing out more degrees? These kids have the most degrees that we've ever had, and yet they're dumber. How does that work? Well, it works because if you do a cursory search and you see what children can actually study in school, you'll be shocked what you can get a degree in. You can get a degree in gender studies. I thought I checked it off in kindergarten when they said two genders, boys bathroom, girls bathroom, right? Now you can spend four years learning what it took me in one class in kindergarten to learn. That's a meaningless degree. You can get degrees. You can get degrees in civic responsibility, social responsibility. They're handing out woke degrees and keeping kids for four years, putting them in debt, $100,000, like me, I had $100,000 of student loan debt, to give them a meaningless degree. Why are they doing that? Well, because they know that these kids will come out and they will know nothing, but they will be convinced that they know everything. They want them to be passionately stupid. That's the only way to describe it. To be passionate about their stupidity. That's the word. And you might say, why does the government want that, right? Because imagine being a kid who spent four years getting well, a studies degree. Passionately so stupid. And so pompous, so arrogant and going out into society and finding out that you can't get a job. Because as it turns out, we don't need that many people that are majors in gender studies to get the day going, right? <laughs> and so you imagine being that kid who then sees the kid that he went to school with that didn't go to college. That kid's fixing air conditionings. 
and he's making six figures because it turns out we need a couple of people that can do some plumbing and can fix some air conditionings. <laughs> and so what happens to that kid who went to college? He becomes angry. He becomes angry because he feels like he was robbed. He's angry that that kid is more successful than him and he went to trade school. He's angry that that kid maybe tacked along with his dad to work and he's making more money than he is, he doesn't understand it. So of course that kid thinks the system is broken. I did everything right, the system is broken. And that kid has learned in school, the system is broken because capitalism is backwards because capitalism is wrong. So that's part of the plantation economics, right? Make sure the slaves don't learn. I meant it when I said that. The second piece of Democrat plantations when they were maintaining them in the South was ensuring that families were torn apart. Isn't that something, right? They needed to make sure, and I remember reading Booker T. Washington's Up From Slavery. In the first chapter, he talks about how when his mother died, he felt nothing. Because as a slave, it was nothing to lose your relatives. You just constantly were being traded from plantation to plantation. So they wanted to make sure that they were severing familial relations. Does that answer your question? When you look up and you say, how is it possible that families are so destroyed? And in the 1960s, there were about 20% of African-American families that were being, that, that uh, African-American children that were being raised without a father in the home. And they thought it was a crisis. Today, that number is 75% of black children that are being raised without a father in the home. Father absence is one of the biggest epidemics that we are facing in this country if you wanna talk about a pandemic. When I said bring back manly men, when I said we need masculinity, I meant it, I meant it. We need strong men to raise strong families, to lead strong households. The left understood that. The left understood that forever. The Democrats have understood that forever. And that is the reason why they routinely attack families. It's why they want your children to mutilate themselves. They want to make sure they're so confused and so backwards. By the time they wake up, it'll be too late. It'll be too late because your family will be broken down in a thousand different ways. That's why they want abortions, more abortions. That's why they, they, they want people to believe that it's irresponsible to have children, says the Green New Deal. It's irresponsible because the planet's going to be dead in 10 years. How many of you guys survived the planet being dead from the time you were in high school? Because I was told, crazy, look at that. We should go buy a lottery ticket, right? When I was growing up, it was global warming. Global warming was going to get us all. The polar bears were going to drown. We were going to die. I, I learned, and I believed it, of course. They made us all watch in school. Um, Al Gore, I almost said Al Sharpton. <laughs> Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth. <laughs> and they said, the planet's going to be gone. It's going to be, it's going to be irresponsible for you guys to have children. We need you to be activists about the environment. Little did I know that they had done that over and over again. There was the ozone layer. There was the acid rain generation. Those oh, yeah. poor kids. Imagine being scared every time it rained. I should be looking like Seattle. That'd be horrible. I mean, like, just... <laughs> there was global cooling, that generation, global cooling. They were told that things were going to freeze over and over and over and over again, because at the end of the day, they're already trying to tell children converting them into little activists, using the environment as a new type of religion, right? Pledge your, pledge your faith to environmentalism. 
Aleph knows that faith is never destroyed. It's just replaced, right? Hold on, Ed. Faith in God. They want to destroy faith in family. They want to replace it. Now, friend, I, I don't want to tell on our age tonight, but you remember back when we was in high school, they told us they told us that that if we wasn't careful, the dinosaurs is going to be extinct. <laughs> no, no, comment. no comment. <laughs> She's making a point, though. You know, this is <laughs> this is chicken little. The sky's falling. The sky's falling. Yeah, know, we may win. I remember that. We're going to freeze to death. The seals are going to drown. The polar bears are going to drown. <laughs> we can all make it go away if you pay more taxes. You know, and all this water is coming up from global warming. Why can't y'all get any water out there in California? Why are they letting the wetlands die in Oregon? <laughs> global warming. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is not making no sense, folks. This is it's not making any sense. Go ahead, Ed. I just had to share that about my, me and Fran when we were growing up. Another type of obsession with environmentalism, obsession with all of these isms that they can create. They want you to worship government. They want the family to be destroyed. A third element of democratic plantations, um, and this one is my favorite because people said, okay, well, this definitely doesn't exist anymore, Right. They used to whip slaves, they used to beat slaves, they used to sever slaves' limbs so that if they got caught trying to escape the plantations, when they got back, they would sever their limbs because they wanted to teach the other slaves, don't you dare, right? That was a part, it was, it was, it was a part of maintaining a plantation to make sure that the slaves didn't get any ideas about their own freedom. And you go, okay, well, Candace, that's definitely not happening. I challenge you to think again, I challenge you to Google my name. I challenge you to Google the name of any black conservative that has had the audacity to pick up and walk away from the Democrat party and let me know what comes back at you. It's a figurative lynching. Yeah. Attempt to destroy your reputation. You read my Wikipedia page, you read about Larry Elder, you read about Clarence Thomas, you read about Condoleezza Rice, you read about every single black conservative, Dr. Ben Carson, a literal brain surgeon who has about a million hits calling him stupid, okay? About a million hits call calling a literal brain surgeon stupid. Why? Because he had the audacity to get up and to walk away from Democrats. And that's not a fate now that's just for black Americans. I'm talking about these plantations. They're not just for Black Americans. They reserve the worst treatment for Black Americans because they see something proprietary. Candace Owens should not be speaking in a Republican room. Candace Owens should be owned by me. We created a system dating back to the 60s for Black Americans. They should be married to the Democrat Party. LBJ built that beast. He built that system. We've been giving them welfare for decades. They belong to us. They reserve the worst vitriol and the worst hatred for Black Americans. Oh, but it's, it's for white Americans too. It, it's for white Americans too now. They're coming after everybody's families, right? They're coming after everybody's reputations if you don't kowtow to what they want. They're coming after everybody's children. The left seeks nothing more than absolute power. 
and we cannot give it to them. How many people in this room have my book? So you guys know that the person that inspires me to do what I do every single day is my grandfather who is still alive, right? And I, and I always leave people with his story because I think it's one of the most inspirational stories to walk out of the room with because you have to know that despite all the terrible things that are happening in this country, I remain optimistic. I am a happy warrior. I am always smiling. I am always laughing. I am never miserable. And I think that's what they hate the most. And the reason is because I've got something they can't take away from me, right? I've got, I've got genuine, pure love and an understanding for what is genuine and what is purity and what is love. And I have my grandfather as an example, as the ultimate pillar um, of my life, really. My grandparents, both of my grandparents, grandmother passed in 2013, uh, which was a part of my awakening and my return to the conservative principles that were taught in their household when I was growing up. My grandfather was raised in the South, in the Serengeti South, um, in North Carolina. And one of the most fascinating things about hearing his stories, uh, what it was like to grow up with the real Ku Klux Klan, you know, they like to talk about Klansmen now. They, if you ever want to get, get a leftist upset when they talk about Klansmen, say, where are they? They go, well, you keep bringing up the Klan. Where are they? Like, where are their meetings? Where are they having them? You know, it's kind of just become like an idea now they like to throw around when they're talking about Republicans and conservatives. But when my grandfather grew up, it was the real Klansmen, you know, the, the real hooded knightsmen that would come around um, and they would harass and they would do terrible things to Black Americans, among them being my grandfather, um, and his father. They hated my grandfather's father. Uh, and, and so I remember I asked my grandfather about three years ago, we were sitting down and just kind of talking about life and reminiscing about his childhood because I'm at that age now where I just want to know everything, right? I wish, well, I want the wisdom. I want to know every story of his childhood. I want to know what it was like. I don't want to lose those memories uh, for the Owens family. And he talked about the Klansmen shooting bullets into his home, sitting there, you know, eyes wide. And he said, and, you know, we'd run to the back of the house. I was, a, I was a boy. We'd all run to the back of the house and dive under the bed. And then I see this almost smile come across his face. When you slip back into a fond memory, and he says, my daddy would grab the shotgun and shoot back at them boys. It's just, I think about that. Think about that. A man who lived through real segregation, through real racial injustice, doesn't look back at those times in the way that people who have lived through absolutely nothing do. He says to me, it's just a different time. It's just a different time. And he has never once, ever, in raising us up, me, my cousins, he's never once uttered one bad word about white people. That tethers me to something, a, a, different, a different truth, a deeper truth that I think most people should realize. If you are living and breathing in America today, you are a part of a generation of people that is the most privileged that have ever walked the face of the planet, okay, ever. 
We have the most privileged people that have ever lived. And they're also the most miserable. They've lived through absolutely nothing, but they're certain they are living through tragedy every single day. I ask people when they say, what inspires you? Find out what inspires you. Who's your granddaddy? Because I'll guarantee you whatever he was living through, it's a lot harder than mean tweets and being called a racist. Uh, stop your screen, Sherry. Need your membership. Okay, we just did. Right now, we have the best deal of the year. It's fifty percent off for new members. Uh, the Omicron, which sounds like we're being attacked by another galaxy, uh, now we see might be being attacked by another variant. By uh, in South Africa, no good deed goes unpunished. They called up and they said, "Hey." I'm seeing some variants, and it doesn't have to extreme symptoms. It might be not seen that many cases. Just want to tell you, next thing you know, a global travel ban from eight to ten African nations. Europe I can't see anything. Everything. It's there. Goes, Wait a second. What kind of reaction is yeah. this? Is this the punishment I get for telling you about screen people? share again? See if you'd say it. And when the president tried to ban and did ban Chinese trap. All right, guys. There you go. Now you can shut him up. <laughs> oh, life is always fun. Okay. You know, she makes a lot of good points in there. A whole lot of good points. And uh, she was she was talking about uh, she was talking about you know the 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 blacks on the Democrat plantation. And then she went on to say, she went on to say something very interesting. Let me move that little hand out of my face. Is that a little better? Uh, she went on to say something about the whites. Okay, white people too. We have more and more white people going on that plantation every day. And a lot of them go on there because they want to go. Okay. It's easier to go on the plantation right now. It's easier to go on the plantation and get master's food and get master's milk and get master's electric and master's oil or whatever else to keep you warm and let master pay for your clothes on your back than it is to go back to work. You follow me? A lot of people are still refusing to go back to work because they're on that public teat. Now, what that is, is that's conditioning you for a lifetime of slavery. And she was making that point when she started talking about the white people because there's white people and there's black people both that were working that are still refusing to work. We have businesses that can't open up or they can't open full capacity because they don't have the workers. All those people didn't die of COVID. They're living the life of welfare. But there's a cost with welfare. The more you own it, the longer you own it, the harder it is to get off. And there becomes a point that you can't get off because they put so many restrictions on you that you can't get around them to get back on your feet. 
And you've got to stand up. You've got to get off of this because all we're doing is we're increasing the plantation for the masters. Okay. And if enough of you go into slavery, that don't leave enough of us to keep from getting rounded up. What do you think about that, Ed? Well, I don't know. I mean, we can't just we just can't continue to go on and on and on uh, looking for the free ride, looking for the easy way out. You know, she was talking about, you know, a lot of people's grandparents went through a lot worse time than we have. My grandfather went through the depression. Hell, my daddy went through the depression. So did my mama. Yeah, mine too. Yours too. That's right. And uh, you, you talk about hard times. You talk about hard times. Uh, my dad used to tell stories why he wouldn't eat cornbread. He didn't eat cornbread until he was way up in his 60s. Finally, one night he decided to try something. We about all had a heart attack. Dad said that when he was a kid, They'd send him out in the daytime to plow, and they'd give him a cake of cornbread wrapped up in a handkerchief. That was his lunch. He said that's all we had to eat was cornbread. And uh, the only reason they had that was because they had a milk cow. They had, you know, chickens for eggs, and they they milled their own wheat and, and, and corn to make, you know, meal for the bread and that's the only reason they had that and they would make his cornbread every day and send him out the field and he said he got out there one day and said he felt so sorry for the mule because the mule wasn't getting but half ration either you know and he said he broke open that cornbread gave that mule half of it that mule turned its head on and it wouldn't eat it And he said, I never ate another body cornbread after that. He said he went hungry for a long time, you know. And uh, so I guess grandma must have cooked him some eggs or something when he wouldn't eat the cornbread no more. But the, the whole gist of it is, is people's had a whole lot worse than what anybody's having it right now. And we've, we've let this be done to us. The depression was a whole nother animal that hit. But we have literally let them have their way with us. You know, what's the old saying? You can't rape the willing. Well, we can't complain because we've allowed it to happen. All we can do now is try to turn the tide and get, the, get it going back the right direction. That's all we yeah. can do. There, there is another step to all this too. When an employer looks at, at applications, they're looking at people that is they can count on being there for. Right. And if you've if you've not been working over the past twenty months, and somebody else has, has been out of work maybe three or four days, maybe a week or two weeks, it's going to be a long time before they look at somebody that's been out of work for twenty months, living off the government versus somebody that's willing to get out here and work and find a job to where he can support himself. 
And those are the kind of people that are loyal. They'll work hard and they'll, they'll do a much better job instead of saying, well, I don't need this job. Take this job and shove it and then walk on. Well, you and know, I think I, I, I might have mentioned this in the show since you've been on. I'm not sure, uh, but I know I have mentioned it on the show that when I when I had my businesses, if somebody come in applying for a job. One of the first things I looked at was how much space they had in between jobs. And if somebody had six months space, you know, without a job, I said, why if you had a job in the last six months? And they'd say, well, you know, I had my unemployment coming. I just decided I'd just run it out for went and look for a job. Well, that didn't sit well with me as an employee. I wanted somebody that wanted to work. So I would, I would actually hire somebody that had no experience and train that person before I would hire somebody that was experienced in the field that I needed them in that would set out purposely for six months and not get a job. I know people right here. You know, well, I was making $25 an hour. I won't go to work for a penny less. Well, I'll tell you what, I've went from making $25 an hour to going to flipping hamburgers for three for three twenty-five. Okay. So don't tell me that you're too good to work for less because I had a family to feed. And I would flip hamburgers for $325 an hour, and then I'd do odd jobs on the on my off time in order to feed my family. And so don't ever tell me that you, you're too good to work for a certain amount because I've worked for a whole lot less. You know what I'm saying? And it just, but when, when it, you're right, when an employer looks at an application, he looks at how, how long they have worked at their previous jobs. He looks at how many days, you know, if they've been, if they've made a habit of being off sick all the time or, you know, asking for extra personal days, he looks at the references you know, and if somebody give me a lousy reference, you're not getting a job. You know, I called up the prior employers. I didn't just take their word for them. They work for them. I didn't just take their word that they was a good employee or that this was their position or that position. I called it up. I checked it out. And if they didn't qualify, if, if you know, and like you said, if there was those lapses in their times of work and stuff, all of that played into the, to the hiring factor. And like you said, one of the biggest things that, that would kill you faster than anything is if you had a big space in your unemployment. If, you know, when I quit a job or if I, you know, got laid off or whatever, that same day on the way home, I started putting in applications. Just plain and simple. I would stop every way I could on the way home and put in an application because I wanted to work. And that's what we need to do with it. We need to go back to being a working society. Uh, you know, she was talking about her father, her grandfather, you know, and, and uh, the way, you know, they had to deal with the Klan and stuff growing up. I've seen some of that in Florida, even when I lived in Florida. I've seen it in Louisville when I lived in Louisville. Okay. Uh, I can remember Clarksville uh, there. You know, we talked about that there at the end of the bridge. There was a sign had the N word said, don't let the sun set on your butt. I would say it nicely, uh, but uh, I've seen that. Uh, I can remember segregation. I can remember a lot of things. And these people that's doing this complaining now, like she said, they've never lived it. But yet they feel entitled to some kind of reparation 
for something they've never experienced. Okay. And then you get to look and he said, well, wait a minute. The Irish were slaves. The Scottish were slaves. Some of the English were slaves. You know, people were brought over from Germany everywhere as slaves. So how are we going to pay this? And what if you were a black slave owned by a black slave owner who pays you? Or what if you was a white slave owned by a black slave owner? Or Scottish or Irish or Russian or German or whatever. People from all over the world have been slaves. There's still slavery going on in this world today. But one place is not going on to the extent that it was is right here in the United States. And, uh, you know, this, this, this victimhood society has to stop. It has to stop. But that's just what I had to say on that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, Bill, you got a point there. It's simply because people will not do for somebody else that won't do for themselves. Right. And unless they take pity on them. And then usually that individual would take advantage of everything they'll give them. And right. I, it's, it's not happening with everybody, but there's some people that can't do, which is different than people that can do and won't. Exactly. And uh, I'd, much, I'd much rather help somebody out that needs a little bit of help than depend on somebody that doesn't want to do anything for themselves. Because there's a, there's a major difference there too. And uh, Bill's right. Candace is right. If we don't stand up and do what we can do to save ourselves from being become victims and enslaved into a, a uh, country that is run by a bunch of people that think we're nothing more than herd animals. Where do you think the term herd, herd immunity came from? And uh, we're not animals. We're not farm animals. We're not. We're not slaves. We're, we're individuals. We're citizens of this free country that everybody in the world wants to come to because we have freedoms that they don't. And Bill's right. If we lose this, if we lose our freedoms here in the United States, we'll all become slaves, and it doesn't matter who we are or what's going on. And they'll choose which slaves they'll let live. And it, it's getting that bad. And she made a very, very important point when she was talking about how we are controlled by fear. Mm -hmm. And this next video that we're getting ready to go to, this next short video, it's not near as long as one we just did with Candace. Uh, this next short video that we're getting ready to go to, uh, and it'll be the last one for the night. Uh, it, it talks about that, and it shows how not only... I want you to think about what you've heard right now, what's going on. Today, they started talking on, on the news about the Omicron variant that's coming out of Africa, you know, and suddenly it's not racist to shut down eight countries coming in, but it was for us to, to shut down China, remember? It's not xenophobic to shut down eight countries coming in, but it was when we did China, remember? That was Joe Biden's words. That was Joe Biden's words. Okay. Now, what it is, and I want you to watch this video because it has to do with the swine flu. Fran, you've done a great job finding this. Uh, it has to do with the swine flu in 1970, what was it? 76. 
Yeah. 74, 76. Uh, I know we was in high school at the time. That's all I can remember. Uh, but now, when the swine flu come out, there was all this hype and all this stuff about getting vaccines, right? And I want you to see this, and I want you to think about what you've been hearing and what you've been seeing today about COVID, because they just said on Fox News this evening, okay, uh, it was on Fox, that the doctor who discovered the Omicron variant, you know, it's amazing uh, about this Omicron variant, let me make this out, uh, before the variant was discovered, they done had a vaccine ready for it, okay? And now they're saying, oh, well, we got to create a vaccine. But they done said they had the vaccine last week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, I mean, this is now, this is what's really interesting, though. The doctor that discovered it over there, he said it's much more contagious. Okay. But it's, it's, even though it's much more contagious, it is not as serious because it is, is it's very it's just very what would you say it's about like having a cold okay yeah. and uh so it's it's nothing you know they've not had to hospitalize people do you know intubations and all these surgical procedures on them they've not had to do any of this stuff they've been treating them at home okay and they're getting over it. So it's not a big deal. But if you look at CNN, you look at MSNBC, you look at you know NBC and ABC and CBS and all of them, they're like, oh, my God, this next new dreaded Omicron uh, is coming out. And, oh, gosh, we don't know how bad it's going to be. And it's just terrible. It's terrible. The skies are falling. Okay? That is what they're putting on on the mainstream news. Well. Well, you know when we had the first when we had the first virus come out, the coronavirus come out, and then the yeah. Delta variant. I yeah. still have not been able to find two different tests for either one of those for the coronavirus and, and the uh, Delta variant. And now they've got this Omicron. How do they know it's a variant if they can't test for the difference? That was that was a point I was going to make. Thank you. <laughs> if if uh, if you can get a cat to come by using a different language and get them curious enough to come in and listen to you, yeah, you know, the cat's a pretty independent uh, critter, and they'll right. do what they want to do. Sometimes, sometimes you just you know do like this, and they'll come to you, but not until they're eighteen or twenty years old when they know you trust them. Uh, Candace, Candace got a good hold on what's going on, folks. Yes, she does. If, if you were around watching TV uh, on this 1976, this is going to take you back into the, into the early times when we were much younger than what we are now. And the similarities of what you see there, they revised it for today's world. So take a look. You will see and recognize this from the past, but at the same time, you will get an awakening of what they're what they've been doing to us for years. Yeah. 
Now, if you if you wasn't around in 76 to see this, hang on to your seat, kids, because you're in for an education. Go ahead, Ed. As government told us all that swine flu could turn out to be a killer that could spread across the nation. And Washington decided that every man, woman, and child in the nation should get a shot to prevent a nationwide outbreak, a pandemic. Well, 46 million of us obediently took the shot. And now 4,000 Americans are claiming damages from Uncle Sam amounting to $3.5 billion because of what happened when they took that shot. By far the greatest number of the claims, two-thirds of them, are for neurological damage or even death. This virus was the cause of a pandemic in 1918 and 1919 that resulted in over half a million deaths in the United States, as well as 20 million deaths around the world. See how easy it is. Thus, the U.S. government's publicity machine was cranked into action to urge all America to protect itself against the swine flu menace. Influenza is serious business. During major flu epidemics, millions of people are sick and thousands die. Well, this year you can get protection. The vaccines are safe, easy to take, and they can protect you against flu. So roll up your sleeve. Protect yourself. One of those who did roll up her sleeve was Judy Roberts. She was perfectly healthy, an active woman, when in November of 1976, she took her shot. Two weeks later, she said she began to feel a numbness starting up her legs. By the following week, I was totally paralyzed. So completely paralyzed, in fact, that they had to operate on her to enable her to breathe. And for six months, Judy Roberts was a quadriplegic. The diagnosis? A neurological disorder called Guillain-Barre syndrome. This disease can even kill. Indeed, there are 300 claims now pending from the families of GDS victims who died. Hold on, Ed, right there. Guillain-Barre, if you remember, when we showed the list of diseases that can be caused by the COVID-19 shot that come from the Center for Disease Control, their list, remember that? Gion Berry was the first one on the top left column. Do you remember that, Fran? It does not surprise me. It was the top, top ranked one. The little girl that couldn't go to school in Hawaii because they was going to force her to take the vaccine, even though her doctor told her not to, because another vaccine had gave her Gion Berry. And they tried to force her to take it anyway. And she didn't get to go to Hawaii for college. That was her dream. Uh, that is what affected her from the previous vaccine she had. And she would would not take it for the COVID. And I don't blame this girl. You see what this Keon Berry can do to you. But that, I, that was just what I want to point out because that was the first disease on the list that it can cause you to have for COVID-19. You see what it's done to this lady. Go ahead, Ed. I'd never taken any other flu shots, but I felt like this was going to be a major epidemic. And the only way to prevent a major epidemic of a, a really deadly variety of flu was for everybody to be immunized. As part of informing Americans about the swine flu threat, Dr. Sensor's CDC also helped create the advertising to get the public to take the shot. Swine flu, man, I'm surprised that it gets me. 
symptoms that sometimes go with that kind of inoculation. So you didn't? No, I didn't. Have you spoken to your doctor since? Yes. And? He's delighted that I didn't take that shot. Dr. Michael Hatwick directed the surveillance team for the swine flu program at the CDC. His job was to find out what possible complications could arise from taking the shot and to report his findings to those in charge. Did you know ahead of time, Dr. Hatwick, that there had been case reports of neurological disorders, neurological illness, apparently associated with the injection of influenza vaccine. Absolutely. You did? Yes. How'd you know that? By review of the literature. So you told your superiors, the men in charge of the swine flu immunization program, about the possibility of neurological disorders. Absolutely. What would you say if I told you that your superiors say that you never told them about the possibility of neurological complications? That's nonsense. I can't believe that they would say that they did not know that there were neurological illnesses associated with influenza vaccination. That simply is not true. We did know that. I've said that Dr. Hatwick had never told me of uh, his feelings on this subject. Uh, and he's lying. I guess you would have to um, make that assumption. And why does this report from your own agency, dated July 1976, list neurological complications as a possibility. I think the uh, consensus of uh, the scientific community was that the evidence relating neurologic disorders to influenza immunization uh, was such that they did not feel that this association was a real one. You didn't feel it was necessary to tell the American people that information? Uh, I think that uh, over the, the years, we have tried to inform the American people as, as fully as possible. The vaccines are safe, easy to take, and they can protect you against flu. I asked, told Judy to take the shot. She wasn't going to take it. And, uh, she never had had shots. And uh, now, man, with my government, because they knew the facts, but they didn't release those facts because they, if they had released them, the people wouldn't have taken them. And they can come out tomorrow and tell me there's going to be an epidemic and they can walk off like flies to Mexico. I will not take another shot that my government tells me to take. Meantime, Judy Roberts and some other thousand others like her are still waiting for their day in court. This is the CBS Television Network. Did they ever get their day in court? Or those people ever win any money? I don't know for certain because I didn't dive in into it that far. I just found this video today. And never heard if they did it. Kind of got quietened down, I think. Now let the commercials play. 
Let the commercials play. Yeah, watch these commercials, because remember, they tell us to believe in the You'll be interested to know how the doctors of America answered that question. <laughs> Tens of thousands of doctors. Doctors in all parts of the country, in every state of the union. Doctors in every branch of medicine were asked, what cigarettes do you smoke, doctor? In this nationwide survey of general practitioners, surgeons, throat specialists, diagnosticians, and so on, the brand named most was Camel. Yes, according to this survey, more doctors smoke Camels than any other cigarette. Try Camels yourself. Make the one sensible cigarette test. Make your own 30-day Camel mildness test in your T-zone. Smoke only Camels for 30 days. Enjoy Camels' rich, full flavor. And see how well Camels agree with your throat. Pack after pack, week after week. See for yourself why Camels are so popular with the doctors of America. Bet you what I got. Help the field with a lot of help from Ultra Bright. It's a brand that shines the brightest. It's a freshness you can feel. It's a natural attraction. It's your health appeal. What makes Ultra Bright the health appeal toothpaste? A smile that shines its natural whitest, sparkling clean breath, and cavity fighting fluoride. It's a natural attraction. It's your Ultra Bright. The health appeal toothpaste. I'm the healthiest 55-year-old you've ever seen. Hey, I play golf every weekend. Get a shot of protection. The swine flu shot. Huh. Joe Bryce from the office. He gave it to Betty. I'm one of his kids. And to Betty's mother. But Betty's mother went back to California the next day. On her way to the airport, she gave it to a cab driver, a ticket agent, and one of the charming students. At school, Joe's kid gave it to some other kids. And Mrs. Yarrow got it and gave it to her husband. In California, Betty's mother gave it to her best friend, Dottie. But Dottie had a heart condition and she died. But before she died, Dottie gave it to her girlfriend, the mailman, the pizza boy, and the vet when she went to pick up her children. If a swine flu epidemic comes, this is how it could spread. Let's stay home together, right? And yeah. Three organs, not home alone together. Smoking Chesterfields. First such report ever published about any cigarette, and it applies only to Chesterfields. A responsible consulting organization reports this study by a competent medical specialist and his staff on the effects of smoking Chesterfields. A group of people smoked only Chesterfields for six months in their normal amount, 10 to 40 a day. 45% of the group have smoked Chesterfields from 1 to 30 years for an average of 10 years each. At the beginning and end of the six months period, each smoker was given a thorough examination, including x-rays. The examination covered the sinuses, nose, ears, and throat. After a thorough examination of every member of the group, the medical specialist stated, it is my opinion that the ears, nose, throat, and accessory organs of all participating subjects examined by me were not adversely affected in the six months period by smoking the cigarettes provided. Remember this report and buy Chesterfields, regular or king size, premium quality Chesterfield, much milder.
presents this program in color. Wow, color. <laughs> that was a big deal. Yeah. Try to raise questions we feel are extremely important. As the first generation of a technological society, we have been acted upon by forces of such power that few, if any of us, can understand. Extensive information gathering on every American, human experiments with drugs and psychosurgery, electronic surveillance, the era of the computer, invasion of privacy, growing government and corporate power over our lives, a people plagued by dehumanization, loneliness, and violence. Dramatic? Using control of our technology and our lives. Not so long ago, people in a similar situation did not awaken to the forces around them. Are we so unwise as to do the same? There you go. Uh, yeah, I'm Right now, we have the best deal of the year. It's 50% off for new members at DW50. But here's the thing it's not just you get all the great content, you know, the extra stuff with me, hanging out with me as an all access member, for example, watching Candace. You kill that, Ed. Part of Sweet Baby Gang with Matt Walsh. It's a huge Oh, that was the end of that video. Uh, sure takes no, you back, don't it, Bill? It sure does. You know, I, I, I want to say this before we get into to what I want to say about the video, but, you know, I can remember when we got our first collar TV, okay? And uh, we sat down, and uh, I believe it was the Real McCoys was on. I don't know if you remember them or not. That's going back a while. And uh, had Grandpappy Amos in it, remember? He walked with a lamp and his bib overalls. And we all gather around the TV. We're going to watch Real McCoys. And Daddy turns it on and says, everybody quiet now. And we lay down and he lays down the floor. We're all sitting there, me and my sister, and we're looking at it, you know, like this. Mom's sitting on the couch. And all of a sudden we said, the picture's still black and white. <laughs> <laughs> we figured we got a color TV, everything's gonna be color, you know. Uh that was you talk about a letdown. Most of the shows were still black and white when we got it. <laughs> yeah, some of those shows are still in black and white, they haven't put color to them yet. Yeah, I know. I still like watching the old black and whites now that I'm older, but you know, it, it it was funny. But that film right there, that film right there. Shows that they've been lying to us for decades on stuff about these vaccines and stuff. Maybe even better in a century. You know what I'm saying? Well, I know they have because I've seen symbols in that video that uh, told me exactly who it was that was behind the videos to begin with. Right. And uh, I tell you what, they're the ones that are trying to drive us all into slavery. They're the right. ones that's trying to take our freedoms away from us and put us in isolation and, and do everything for them so that they can have and we can be the have-nots. Well, you know, I was 
sitting there thinking while I was watching this, you know, the 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 fear factor it's it's all the same thing. That's why I said, you know, yeah. that's like stay home alone together. How the hell do you do something alone and be together? You know, California was in a mask lockdown in your own home. It's not like we can zoom and and reach out and give each other a hug or, you know, pat you on the back and say, yeah, that's going to be all right. Don't cry about it. You know, uh, we can't look at Ed's stilettos and see if they're prettier than yours. I want to see those stilettos when you get up here. Oh, uh, that's what I got to think about. I just pictured they had some stilettos when they was, which he was talking, Candace Owens was talking about men being more like women and women more like men. Uh, but no, nah, I can just picture that right now. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the, uh, the way that they have deceived us, the way that they use the propaganda. See, that was the media that was doing that for the government. The media was promoting that swine flu shot just like they're promoting it now. They were showing them getting, they showed pictures. I, I remember when Joe Ford got his shot, seeing him get his shot, okay? He got one. Mary Tyler Moore didn't, but they lied about it. <laughs> How many more of them other people did they lie about that didn't get their shot? Did Ali get one? You, know, you see what I'm saying? Know, but he did get Parkinson's later, didn't he? He got Parkinson's, but I think a lot of that come from Ropadope. Well, it, it could have been, but it could you have know? been after effects from the, what was in the vaccine, too. Yeah, it could have been, too. I mean, you, you don't know, because when you take these things four, six, eight, ten years down the road, uh, you, you don't know how they're going to affect you. You know, unless unless there's been studies that long. And, you know, let's see, let's think 76. That was long before my mad cow came out. That was the next big scare. That was after probably this. within the time that it could have affected him for Parkinson's. Yeah. And some of the COVID shots, which is having like Sankeon Barrier syndrome. People are getting Parkinson's from it, so maybe maybe the swine flu shot gave it to them too. I don't know, but that is a possibility. That's a good point because I was just sitting here thinking because he he, he ran a five k race in Louisville when I was uh, working for security for uh, for the phone company AT and T, and I was there earlier than seventy six. Uh, or, I mean, not 76, earlier than 86. So it would have been within the 10-year 10 10 time frame. So, yeah, it very well could have been from that. Uh, there are so many diseases, so many things, and they'll sit there and they'll lie to the public. They'll say, oh, these are safe. These are safe. But when you look on their pages and you look on the reports that they filed with the federal government, they're not safe. But they lie to you and they get these puppets like Rachel Madcow and Don Lemonhead. OK, they get these puppets out there to tell you, oh, you got to take this. Oh, it's the end of the world. You know, what's his name? Uh, Fredo. Fredo, you got to take this shot. You got to wear that mask. But yet he come running out with COVID when he is supposed to be under uh 
COVID uh, restrictions. He's supposed to be locked in his house. He was somewhere else with a bunch of people and try to get in a fight with a guy on a bicycle. Remember that? But you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to take the shots. You got to wear the mask. You got to lock yourself up. You got to vaccinate your kids. You know what? Hell no, I ain't got to do nothing. And I, I've been sitting here thinking tonight, and the more I think about this, just, just the more intent I get on saying this. What freedom is, and I want you to think about this. You go to bed and you sleep on this tonight. And if I'm wrong, somebody contact me tomorrow, billmoss.apn at gmail.com. You contact me and tell me why I'm wrong. Freedom is when the government tells you to stay in your house, you get up and you go out. Freedom is when they tell you to put a mask on, you throw it back at them. Freedom is when they tell you to get a shot, you tell them to stick it. That is freedom. When they tell you that your kids have to take a shot, freedom is telling them, hell no, my kids is my responsibility. They're my responsibility. They're my decision until they're 18 years old. And then that's their own, not yours. You are not my God. You are not my savior. You are not the person or the owner of me. So you have no say in what I do. As long as I don't break laws, you have no say in what I do. And any law that you pass mandating me to stay in my house, wear a mask, or take a shot is illegal. Therefore, according to the Constitution of the United States, according to Marbury versus Madison, 1803, Justice Marshall said any law that is in defiance or is repugnant, I should say, to the Constitution is null and void. So you can't make a law making me do that because I'm a free man. I'm a free woman. I'm a free person. Whatever you want to call yourself, you're free. And it's time you stand up and claim it, people. It's time. And for I'm those of you tonight, sister. Yeah. For those of you that have that have <laughs> had the COVID, whether if you've had a vaccine or not, <laughs> you don't have it. If if you've had COVID, you've got the natural antibodies going through your system. Why would you take a shot after you had the COVID? Could you imagine the night of Passover? Okay, the night of Passover. Could you imagine the night of Passover if if the Hebrew people would have said, uh, let's not do it tonight. Let's let's wait and see what Moses can do with Pharaoh in the morning. Could you imagine what would have happened? That's where we're at with our politicians. We gotta quit depending on them. We've got to quit depending on the politicians, folks. Because if, if we don't put the blood over the door tonight, there's not going to be any door to walk out of tomorrow. It's going to have a bar across it. And that's the best way I know to explain it. Moses didn't go in and say, set my people free, maybe. He said, set my people free. Yeah. And when the people were set free, they walked out with all the, all the jewels and all the valuables and everything that Egypt ever had. Moses didn't say please, neither did he. No, they were giving it to him. Yeah. Because the plagues were against them and the, the tables were turned and, and they 
they didn't want to have anything more to to do with uh, upsetting the Hebrew people because their God was stronger than the Pharaoh ever would be. Well, and it, that's it, what we got to stand to. You know, and a lot of people say, "Well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid." You know what fear is? Fear is a lack of faith. Fear is a lack of faith, and I will tell you that. I used to be a firefighter, and I've been in some really, really bad situations. And there was times I feared for my life. But I have not been in one situation since August 3rd of 1991 when I got down on my knees and asked Christ in my heart that I've feared for my life or feared for anything. So if you're afraid, search your soul because it's time to get right. We are in a revival in this country. Yes, we, we are. are in a rebellion in this country. And if we do not join the rebellion, I'm not talking about going out and shooting it up right now. I'm just talking about if we don't get the fight going here, if we don't start standing up, if it comes to that, then then it's God's will. It comes to that. But right now, we need to start standing up right now. we got to have the faith. we got to be rebels. We have to stand up and have to say, excuse the expression, Lord, forgive me. Hell no. There's sometimes you just got to say that because that's the only thing these people understand. And we've got to stand up in their faces and just tell them no. We will not comply. We will not consent. We will not give in any longer. And if you do that, you'll be blessed not only with the joy and love of God in your heart, but you'll also be blessed with true freedom in this world and the next. Yeah. I learned something today, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, I feel a need to share with you. I had a flat tire this morning, had to have my car towed in to, to get the tire fixed. And uh, the tow truck drivers showed up. And I got, uh, he had his wife with him and she and I talked while he was putting the car up on the, on the truck to take it in to where I could get, get the, get the uh, car fixed where I could drive it. And I started talking about everything that I had been learning over the past 20 months. She has been looking at for more information and understanding that what it is that she knows that I was able to fill in some of the blanks for, for the things that I already knew. She told me a few things that I didn't know. Um, that, you know, that type of thing. It's just a matter of getting out and talking with people that you've never met before. Then find out whether if they've got questions or answers for what it is that's out there, because everybody right now is out there looking, they just being quiet because they don't know who they can trust or what can be, or what can be going on. It's just a simple conversation turned into an hour long conversation with it, with this couple. And I, and her husband was awful quiet while she and I was talking. And I asked him, I said, you know, I said, you've been pretty quiet throughout this, most of this trip. I said, did you learn anything new or anything more you might want to know? And he grinned real big. He said, I know a few things, but yeah, you, you've shared quite a bit. And I give him your, your uh, uh, site to where they can go watch this show for tomorrow. And uh, it, it's been a, it's been a, a, a um, an enlightening time because people are looking for answers. And if we've got answers, we need to share them. Well, God got me into this 
June 25th of last year when the rides were going on. And uh, I started Citizens Against Terrorism at his request. And we done some pretty good things last year, Ed. Ed got into it shortly after that. I got a hold of him. I said, Ed, I'd like you in here, remember? And uh, we, we've done some pretty good things across this nation in the last year. Uh, we've been in the riots. We've never hurt anybody. We never had to hurt anybody. We had one team that saved a life. Uh, we protected property. We protected people from harm. Never had to draw a weapon or, or throw a blow. And I believe that was all God's grace. Uh, but we done that and then by the end of june first of july somewhere around that area we started the radio show on block talk radio we went from blog talk to rumble we went from rumble to pit shoot and Friday, and uh, we've got all three of them now uh we've got ed we've got best i can count about 10 10 radio stations right now <laughs> from what i'm seeing carrying us uh, I don't know how many countries we were in. We were up to 12. I know that. Uh, but one of the things I want to share was we, we, we noticed that we had been ready best with Altel Radio, which is a great big accomplishment for a podcast that's been on less than you know, two years, uh, about 14 months. So uh, congratulations to you guys and to everybody that's been on the show with me before because y'all helped to get us here. Um, nobody's got it here by its, by themselves, including me, I'll tell you that. Uh, but the whole, the whole thing is we do this out of love of country. Uh, we could be doing a whole lot of other things with our nights. <laughs> and uh, we do this out of love of country and out of love of our fellow Americans. And, uh, we always try to bring you the truth. And if we ever find out that we don't, uh, if we find out that we're wrong, we will admit it. Uh, I, I did uh, quote the wrong person one time on the show, and I did come back. And, and as soon as I realized it the next day, I, I, I corrected myself. Uh, I will do that always, as well anybody else on the show. Uh, but these things that we're showing you are are serious stuff. Most people, what I wanted to say, Fran, was she was talking about talking to her. There are a lot of people, I won't say most, but there are probably at least 40% of the people out here that still don't have a clue what's going on. I believe that number is a little bit larger, but it is it's, uh, starting, starting to flip. I'm a yeah. conservative, so I'm being conservative. <laughs> but uh, at least 40% of the people out here, uh, Either they don't watch the news or they watch the lion mainstream. Okay. Uh, like I said, they listen to Rachel Madcow or Don Lemonhead or one of those other talking heads. Okay. Uh, Guido or Fredo or whatever they call him. Fredo. Uh, Fredo Como. And uh, of course, I, I ain't seen much out of Jim the Acosta poster boy of CNN lately, but uh, I think he kind of lost his fame when Trump went out. 
he's probably wanting Trump to come back just so he can get back in the limelight. Uh, but I did hear today, and I, you know, he kind of cheered my heart. Jesse Smollett's looking at some very serious time over his racial lies, uh, lying about being attacked. So that's what we that's what we need more of: true justice. And hopefully, he will get good time out of that uh, because he he could have very easily framed any white person that he wanted to point a finger at and put them in jail for years. So this way it's working out. Maybe he'll do the time and think again before he tries to do something like that again. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care who you sleep with at night. I don't care whether you vote Democrat or you vote Republican. Uh, if you vote in our sheriff's race, I hope you vote Republican. <laughs> <laughs> at least in his county. <laughs> oh. But let me tell you this, it don't matter what you vote, even in that sheriff's race. I will stand up for your rights. I will fight for your rights. I'll be the first one on the line and the last one to leave. Okay. Uh, it's just like I've told my guys when we go on them rides. If I can't keep up, y'all just march ahead, come back. I'll either be standing or laying where you last saw me. Okay. And uh, I believe that way. Uh, I will stay and fight until I cannot stand no more. Okay. So if you want a vaccine, get a vaccine. That's your business. If you don't want a vaccine, don't get a vaccine. Whose business is that? It's yours. You want to wear a mask? Wear one. You don't want to wear a mask? Don't wear one. But as much as I've got the right to tell you it's okay for you to wear a mask and get a vaccine, you don't have the right to tell anybody they don't have that right. And as much as I don't have the right to tell you to not do it, you got a right to tell me it's okay. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's what this country was founded on is to have the freedom to live our lives the way that we deemed fit by having the respect of other people for him to be able to do the same thing. We can't let people rewrite what freedom means. Freedom means also being able to speak your mind peacefully, hopefully. But, you know, when your government needs redressing and they don't listen, did you know that you had the right to be vehement, even caustic in your speech to them, as long as you don't threaten them or cause harm to anyone. So think about that. If you're ever called down for it, New York Times versus Madison, 1964. That's the case law to look up that states that. Might want to start keeping a piece of paper around it. Write down these different things that we give you, okay? Uh, these court cases and different things. Because as time goes on, you will hear more and more statutes. You will hear more and more uh, parts of the Constitution, more and more parts, you know, of Supreme Court cases. And we, I like to research and go to the Supreme Court rulings and find out what the stance is on things that are happening. So 
you will learn these things in time. Fran, have you learned a couple of things so far? Yeah. Yeah, I have. How about you, Ed? Learned a few things. Yeah. I've been following lots of other podcasts and that type of thing, but then when Bill and I reconnected and, and I started watching what it was that he was given, I took what it is that I learned from other places and adapted it to what was going on, and I'm getting more from Bill's show than I was getting from several shows put together. When, now that's, I, when that's I've got time, I do watch other podcasters, okay, because I learned yeah, from yeah. them. I learned from Brad Barton, okay. I learned, I learned, I learned from, from, uh, Candace Owens. I learned from Crowder. Okay. I learned from Dace. I learned from Beck. I learned from a lot of people. Oh yeah. I learned from a lot of people. Mark Levin. I love Mark Levin. I watch Mark Levin on the weekends on Fox. I watch Mark Levin on Blaze TV. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mark Levin's got, makes a lot of sense. Okay. And I watch people too, when they speak like, like Alan Dershowitz, a Democrat. Okay, he's a Democrat. He is a flaming liberal Democrat. Uh, I'm still waiting to see what comes out on Epstein Island on you. Okay, because uh, there's been remarks. I mean, there's been stories. Uh, I believe he was on the plane tickets, wasn't he? Uh, on the plane roster, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I mean, that looks pretty bad. But when it comes to the Constitution, Alan Dershowitz knows the Constitution. That's why I watch Alan Dershowitz. Alan Dershowitz stood up, a flaming liberal Democrat, and tore the Democrat impeachment committee a new bongho. Okay. Uh, huh? There's bongho. Yeah, bongho. Uh, he, he tore him a new bongho when he when he was representing Donald Trump, a Republican. So I do value what he teaches about the Constitution. Chris Ann Hall. Chris Ann Hall, I love Chris Ann. Chris Ann has given me so much insight into the Constitution. Uh, and, and from learning from her, I'm sure that I will be a much better sheriff than I would have been if I hadn't. Sheriff Mark Lamb, Pinal County, Arizona. Great respect for him. Another constitutional sheriff, okay? Denny Pyman, that was the sheriff here. Okay, constitutional sheriff. All these people, uh, Sheriff Richard Mack, all these people I've had the honor and privilege of knowing and sitting down and talking to and learning from, okay? And so when we bring you this show, I try to bring you some of that richness that I've learned from all these other people. And there's many more, I can't even name them all, okay? But, I glean what they have to say. I go back, I read it for myself. I study it. And that's how you learn. Don't just take what I tell you. Go back and read it for yourself. And you might say, well, you know what? He was right. But right here, I think he's a little bit off. And that's okay. That's using your mind. That's called discernment. That's a gift from God. That is a gift from God. But what I'm teaching you is what I know to the best of my knowledge and the best of my ability. And uh, I'll never try to steal you wrong. Uh, I talked to a gentleman today. Uh, he is a person that works at the police academy down here. And uh, I was talking to him and he recognized me as the constitutional cowboy. And uh, we were talking and I gave him, you know, this show and I invited him to come and watch the show. And I told him, I said, uh, 
scroll down because we were talking about me being constitutional. I said, scroll down. I said, you'll find where I talked two courses on the Declaration of Independence. And I said, I think it was six on the the uh, Constitution, if I remember right. Something like total, that. total of eight courses. I said, watch them. I said, I tried to keep them not too long winded. I said, but I said, they're very, I think they'll be very valuable, you know. And he wished me well in my race. He, he said he hoped I done well, you know. And I'm looking forward to maybe working with him uh, when, uh, you know, when I'm elected, because uh, when I'm elected, if I want a new deputy, I got to send him down to this guy to get their polygraph. Okay. So uh, he does the polygraphs at the police academy and does other things. And, you know, and uh, uh, your deputies, that's where they have to go every year for their certifications, where they have to go to the academy if they've not been, you know, unless they're in another state. And I was, I was telling Ed, Ed's, you know, thinking about coming out here. And I told Ed, I said, you know, I said, I talked to him today and I said, there's, you know, you can take the classes out there, but when you get here, there's still you know, a few classes you'll have to take here, you know, to finish up. And it's because we're in a different state and got different laws, you know. And uh, I told him, I said, yeah, pass the polygraph. And so I've had so many of them. I've killed so many people and got by with it. So he's good to go. <laughs> That's right. Now, you've actually, you've actually, I guess, been a witness in a lot of internal affairs cases, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I was telling him you was a bounty hunter out there, and he thought that was interesting. He really thought that was interesting. He said, we don't have them here. Yeah. So, got rid of them. Well, you'll be the one who chases down everybody and takes off. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Ed, here's credit card. Go get them. <laughs> Don't come back without him, boy. <laughs> you got a week. <laughs> you got a week. Uh, no overtime, though. No overtime. Can't end no overtime. <laughs> hey, if dog can do it in one episode, you heard be able to do it in a week. <laughs> oh, mercy. Anyway, uh, I'm glad we're ending the show with a light note tonight. Everybody happy. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, it's, it's good to cut up at the end of the show. I hope some people stayed and enjoyed the fun with us uh, because, you know, sometimes we cut up at the end of the show, but uh, that's, that's to get, you know, I've been, I've been pretty pre preachy tonight, I guess, but uh, that's just what Lord's laid on my heart to say tonight. And that's what I've said. So uh, you'll find at times, you know, that happens. And, uh, if 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 you like it, good. And if you don't like it, well, just hang in there till you hear something you do. That's all I can tell you. Because <laughs> uh, I learned a long time ago when the Lord gets hold of my tongue, I can't pull it back. So I just let Him talk. But uh, y'all, uh, I hope I hope everybody enjoyed tonight, and uh, we'll see you again tomorrow night, uh, friend Ed. I love both you guys. Well, guy, girl, and uh, I hope God blesses you both tonight. Keep your family uh, he, safe. He blessed me by teaching that uh, he can use a flat tire to uh, open up my uh, mouth to where I can start talking to just about any stranger that walks across my path. Right. You can. You can. If you ever know me, keep my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, well, that that I would have to sit back and think about for a while. But so far, I've always seen your mouth go like this. I was going to say you can't recall any time it wasn't flapping, can you? Uh, how about you, Ed? Nope. You'd be in the middle of all these shows. I say, stop the tape, Ed. Stop the tape. Yep. Things like the national debt. It keeps going. Yeah, just keeps keeps climbing, don't it? But anyway, you know, like ever ready, buddy. I think part of that is I've always loved people. You know, I've yeah. always had a love for people. Uh, I've always respected my elders. Uh, most of my friends have always been older, and I found great value in hanging out with people sometimes 20, 30 years older than me. You know. Uh, I, I can say some of the greatest lessons I ever learned in life was from my grandfather. And he was born 59 years before I was born. So he was 59 years older than me. And some of the greatest lessons I learned in life was from that man. And I thank God for the 34 years that he was part of my life. You know what I'm saying? And, um, uh, you know, he, he taught me a lot of things. And uh, I miss him. I've had a rough time this week. His birthday just passed. But uh, right before Thanksgiving. And, well, actually, day before I come. The day I left to come up there. My grand, it was my grandfather's birthday. But uh, we've had a good week. And... Uh, just want to say good night, everybody. That'll end the show for tonight. May God bless you. May God bless your families. May God bless your children. May God keep you warm. May God keep you safe. And most of all, may God bless America. Good night. Good night. All right.